Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God was condemning the world with the flood at that time. The Bible says that the thoughts and intents of men's hearts at that time were continually to do evil. And God destroyed the entire world with a flood. But he put Noah and his family, the few righteous people that, and a bunch of animals, he put them in an ark and he sealed it up. And they were in the ark. Judgment was happening all around them, but the judgment was not on them if they were safely in the ark. You and I are in Christ Jesus. And so being in him, there'll be no condemnation. The worst thing that can happen to anyone is coming to the end of your life and realizing you never had a relationship with God. Eternity is everything for a Christian because even in death, you don't have any fear. But the condemnation for a non-believer is eternal separation from God. Today, Pastor Bill is going to point out how important it is to have a relationship with God, where you get to experience so many blessings here on earth, and where you won't face condemnation in eternity away from Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Romans chapter 8, and we spoke a few chapters ago about justification through faith and how that through Christ we're made justified just as if we've never sinned. Uh, we looked in Romans chapter seven at the battle, the war that wages that every born again person experiences the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul said those things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things that I want to do. I find that I don't do. And he ends the chapter. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Just saying, man, just, just despairing that the man he wants to be deep down is I'm, I'm having a hard time getting there. I really want to be this kind of guy, but I keep finding that my flesh is prevailing. And so what do I do? And told you guys last week, many of us here have been there. Some of us are there. And so I encourage you guys not to miss today. As we come into Romans chapter eight, he begins to get us direction. How do we get out of that phase? You know, um, some people get saved and they think that's the way the Christian life is going to be the rest of the time. That I'm just going to always, you know, they say stuff like this. Well, I'm just human. And when I hear that, that's somebody that's saying I ain't even fighting no more. You know, I didn't quit. I've just accepted that I'm not going to have a victory over this and I don't want nobody telling me about what I'm doing is wrong. And that's kind of a it's a, it's a Christian cop out where we just human. We all know we're human. Amen. Uh, that's not news. That's not new stuff. So we all know that we're human. We all know that we're fallible. We all know that we're not perfect. But what God is offering us in the way of the spirit, God is saying, look, I've, there's something inside of you that some of us, we haven't tapped into fully. Um, maybe we don't comprehend how it works. Uh, what's my relationship to the spirit of the living God is going to say in this very chapter, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And you just think about that. The same spirit that when it was in Jesus, when his body died and brought him up to new life out of the grave, God's same spirit lives in you. Amen. Tell me we can have some victory. We can have some victory through Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to learn about that in this chapter. Uh, there's a commentator, Dr. Donald Barnhouse. And he says, and a lot of guys believe that Romans 8 is one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. He says, uh, if somebody dropped their Bible on the floor, it ought to automatically open up to Romans chapter 8. It is that critical to the spiritual life. Um, one of the things for anybody dealing with depression, anybody here that's just weighed down, um, it's three common reasons why a person would 
find themselves depressed. Some people are depressed as they look backwards at some stuff in their past that they just can't shake it. They can't get beyond it. And the things in their past, they just keep going back to it and it, it condemns them and it brings them down and it brings them into a place of depression. Some people are in depression because they're anxious and worried about current situations, th future things. I'm worried about what's going to happen with this. I'm anxious about what's going to happen there. And some people are going through things right now just so much that they, they feel like they can't handle it and they just fall back into a place of depression. We're not going to cover all of Romans 8 today, but each one of those things are kind of addressed in the chapter. For the person that's looking back at their past, your past is so bad. You did some things that are so shameful. You're so embarrassed. You're so disappointed in yourself for your past. You just have a hard time moving forward. Romans 8, 1 addresses that. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but according to the spirit. God says, so you can shake it. There's now no condemnation. You are free from your past uh, because of what I've done in you and what I'm doing through you. For the person that's anxious and worried and concerned about the future, some people are so worried about their inability to live the life that they're supposed to live, that the anxiety of what I'm supposed to be in trying, they quit, they don't try. Romans 8, 38 and 39 ought to settle us. Where God tells us that, Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so whatever's coming in the future, it won't separate you from me. You'll be all right. And for the person that's dealing with some current challenge, um, just way down, there's current circumstances that are just feel like it's too much. Feel like it's unfair. It's disappointing what's going on. Romans 8.28 for the believer. It's so different for us. For the non-believer, when bad things happen, just a bad thing happened. But for the believer, it is different. Romans 8.28 tells us. Um, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things are working together for the good. Those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so again, as a non-believer, I go find my car got stolen. It's just bad. As a believer, I could look at it and I got a different perspective. My car got stolen. It's still bad. I'm not inviting nobody to steal my car, you know, but as a believer, I would say, hey, all things are working together, all things and all in the Greek means what? All. So if all things are working together for the good, I'm actually excited. You know, maybe I'm going to get something better for the believer. Just the perspective is different because God has given us things. And so as we move through Romans chapter eight, uh, my prayer is that we will be strengthened. Um, I pray for those that are here right now and you are struggling with your flesh maybe you're losing that God will equip you through this chapter to begin to have victory through him that's the goal and I want to just make the statement then we're going to go into Romans 8 Jesus didn't die on the cross just to forgive you for your sins he did die to forgive you of your sins that is a very big deal and I will never minimize it in any way but he didn't just stop there it wasn't just for that if he was that would be enough I would say thank you Lord but he died not only to forgive me for the penalty of my past sin, but God wants to give you and me victory over present sin. He wants us to have victory now. It's not just, okay, for everything you ever done wrong, I paid for it, you're good. He also has purchased us. He bought us out of bondage from the devil to be, to be his own. That we wouldn't have to continue to be in bondage and enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so in Romans 8, he teaches us how to walk that way. So look at Romans chapter 8. We, we read verse 1 last week of 8. We had went through the whole war and the battle. We'll read verse 1 again. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
And here Paul is reminding us of our position in Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. And because we're in him, there is no condemnation. And I heard a great illustration of this. Uh, they use the illustration of Noah and his ark. God was condemning the world with the flood at that time. The Bible says that the thoughts and intents of men's hearts at that time were continually to do evil. And God destroyed the entire world with a flood. But he put Noah and his family, the few righteous people that were in a bunch of animals, he put them in an ark and he sealed it up. And they were in the ark. Judgment was happening all around them, but the judgment was not on them. They were safely in the ark. You and I are in Christ Jesus. And so being in him, there'll be no condemnation, right? We're not going to hell or sin. If you're saved, you're born again. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you're in Christ Jesus. So I'm like in him, but I know what I am. No, I'm not perfect. I know I don't do the right thing all the time. But I got to, in faith, read this. And God says, look, you're in me. And there's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in me. Um, now he gives a little bit more. And this is the part of the verse that everybody likes to leave off. Everybody loves Romans 8, 1a. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, right? <laughs> People that are in sin got some favorite verses. This is one of them. There's no condemnation. You got to keep going, though. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And it's evidenced. That they are in Christ Jesus by this. Uh, it says, uh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The person's life that's in Christ Jesus is going to be characterized by them walking differently. Everybody here that was not saved at one point in your life and now you are saved. Uh, I guarantee you, if you really got saved, you don't walk the same way. You're not perfect. But you don't walk the same way, and most of us don't walk to the same places. So we need to consider that. I challenge people this. I've met a lot of people that grew up in church, and they say, I've been in church my whole life. So when did you get saved? Oh, I've been saved my whole life. I've been in church. And I'm looking at your walk saying, your walk says, that ain't happened yet. You've been walking to church. But you know you can walk in and out of church lost. You know how many people are in hell, you guys, that went to church regularly? Like going to church, mama taking me to church, none of that, none of that does a spiritual transformation. None of that makes me born again. It makes me aware. It makes me more accountable, as a matter of fact, but it doesn't save me. So those that are in Christ Jesus, we walk according to the spirit. And what does that mean? Not according to the flesh. Well, when I was not saved, my flesh dictated to me what to do, where to go, and how to live. My flesh just said, let's do this. Yes. Let's try that. Sure. Let's have that. And you just did whatever the flesh said. You just went and did it. Now, as a believer, God says we live, we go according to the spirit. And now as a normal pattern of life, not imperfection, but as your normal pattern that God is leading, his spirit is guiding, his spirit is directing us how to live. We should be looking for that in our own lives. God, do I live according to your spirit? Do I yield to your voice? Do I do the things that you say? Look at verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so one of the things that walking in the spirit does, it frees me up from some other laws. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus frees me up from the law of sin and death. As a non-believer, you are under the law of sin and death. You sin, therefore you have a sentence of death upon you. For the believer, God says now you, you entered into a different place. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so what we may struggle with is how does this work out practically? In my life practically, how do I know where I actually stand with God? 
if I'm in Christ and I walk according to the spirit and that's a pattern of my life, um, when I mess up, am I not saved? Do I question my salvation? Because some people do. Some people, every time they sin, they're like, I know it. I don't think I'm really saved. And they, they'll be at a church getting saved every week. Um, I don't do the whole deliverance thing. I don't believe in deliverance ministries because this is what happens with a deliverance ministry. Let's say you went out this week and you just lived according to the flesh and your flesh said, go to the club and get drunk. So you went to the club and got drunk according to the flesh. Flesh said, go have sex. You went and had sex with somebody you're not married to. You went and did that. Flesh said, lie on this paperwork and get that money. You did, I mean, you went all week according to the flesh. Can you come here and have somebody pray that you get delivered from that? Is that how it works? When you read your Bible, you never see somebody coming. To, people get delivered from demon possession. You got some of those, you let me know. But, um, you know, when it comes to sin, God says you're going to repent of sin. Amen. What happens if we do the deliverance thing is I'm not really responsible. I need to get delivered. I'm not responsible for slapping you. I ain't responsible for getting drunk. I ain't responsible for stealing that guy's money. I need to get delivered from the spirit of theft. And so I'll just come down and get delivered until I do it again. It, it almost puts the responsibility on the ministry and not the person. And so that's not how we're to be living. God said, I put something in every believer. Everything that you need to be everything I want you to be is in you the day you give your life to me. God puts the spirit of the living God inside of each one of us. He dwells in you. And I believe that God puts the Holy Spirit in us because he knows that we would never be holy on our own. We live in a flesh that's prone. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil are three enemies. The world is beckoning us to do things that are sinful. The devil is throwing out his lure of temptation. And the flesh is saying, yes, that looks fun to do. You got all three of those things working against you. And God says, well, then I put the Holy Spirit in you. And I begin the moment you get saved, the process of sanctification. It's a, That's a process. Salvation, boom, the moment you believe you're saved. But sanctification Growing in holiness, growing in your relationship and victory in Christ. God said, I put the Holy Spirit in you to begin to work that out. And that's why, so sanctification is progressive. So someone got saved in 1990 and we in 2015 and they're worse now. Either the Holy Spirit is broke or they don't have him. You know, I would more lean to the fact that you, you might need to ask the Lord to come inside. The evidence says he's not there. You know, uh, we want to look for ongoing transformation in the life of the believer. So we're no longer under the law of sin and death where we just live according to the flesh. We sin and we know that there's a sentence of death. God said, I've done something different in the believer. Verse three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit says it again. So now he tells us that what the law couldn't do. The law was weak. Why was the law weak? Because the law was basically telling us don't do to a bunch of people that are spiritually dead. And all you can do at that point is fail. Uh, the law says, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do this. And it just sets you up for failure. And so God said the law was weak. The law couldn't bring me into a real spiritual state. The law just exposed what was there, what was wrong with me. In all of our lives, the law shows, but if I take the Ten Commandments, um, I love when someone tells me, oh, I just live by the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. Don't nobody live by the Ten Commandments. How many times do you have to break one commandment to be guilty of them all? One time, one time. So if you ever told a lie ever in your life, you're guilty. If you ever, done, I mean, you ever stole, you ever lied, you ever, any of the things on the list, you're guilty. 
And so I'm doubtful that I've met anybody past age three uh, that's not guilty already. So we know we're guilty. It should be kind of easy to come to that conclusion. We're guilty. The law just shows me that I don't measure up to God's standard of perfection. But notice what it says. The law was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus came and did what we couldn't do. He lived according to the law. He kept every rule. If you follow the life of Jesus, you're looking at someone who he came from heaven to earth in a human body and he never sinned. He never lusted. He never lied. He never stole. I look at when he braided up the cord and made a whip and chased the people out. Some people thought, that wasn't flesh. That was righteous anger. Ooh, I want some of that. You know, it was a righteous anger. He whipped them out. They were in his temple taking advantage of the people for money. And God made a whip and whipped them and put them out of there. And it, there was no sin. He never sinned, not one time. So that when he would go to the cross for you and me, he would be the sinless, perfect lamb of God. Take away our sins. God died in your place and he takes his perfect, holy, righteous life and applies it to everybody that puts their faith in him. And so what the law couldn't do, Jesus did. The law just could show me I was wrong. Jesus could make me right. He could give me a right standing. And so what God has done for everybody here that's believed in him, he's given us what we couldn't accomplish in our flesh. It's kind of like cheating on a test. Uh, when I was in school, I don't recommend this and I don't, I'm not celebrating it or bragging on it, but I was a better cheater than a student. And in certain classes, I got by almost completely on cheating. And usually what you needed was somebody smart that was willing to allow you to cheat. And me being a friendly guy that I was, it seemed like I always met those people along the way who had done the homework and would let you sit down and copy it on the way to class. And after they did the test, would just scoot it over like this and you could like look and write yours down. It was always somebody willing to do that for me. And I would turn in my paper, though I hadn't studied, though I didn't know the material, though if the teacher would have walked up and said, answer one of these for me right now. I wouldn't have been able to do it. I was still getting the A that they deserve. And spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus did for us. Y'all all cheaters, right? We're guilty. We sinned. We've blown it. And Jesus did perfect. And he's letting us walk in on his. But it would be like this. It'd be like the person with the A saying, I'm going to let you write down all my answers and I'm going to take yours. I'm going to get your F and you're going to get my A. I'm like, can we both just get an A? You know what I'm saying? But that's what Jesus did. Is He said, no, I'm going to let you get my A. Now I'm going to take the F that you deserve and all the punishment that comes with it. And obviously far worse than a school F. That's what Jesus did for you and me. And that's why the believer's life, that's why it shouldn't really be this chore where, man, I got to obey God. I got to worship. I got to do this for the Lord. The more we really understand what Christ has done for us, it should be that the natural flow of the life of the believer is that we just love the Lord. We recognize how good he is, how much he loves us, how little we have to do with what we're receiving. How that in a room like this with all these different people, and I can only imagine all the different weaknesses and sins that exist, that there's not one here that Jesus didn't die for and willingly forgive and receive and love you. None. There's nothing that could have been done here that God would say, no, that's too much. You, you went too far. You know, anybody it's open for everybody. So the natural flow for the believer should be one where we just fall in love with Jesus for who he is and what he's done and what he's made available to us. You notice at the end of verse four, he said that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. And in the Greek, the word fulfilled means to be satisfied. And the tense in the Greek here is passive. So 
the righteous requirement of the law is being fulfilled, it's being satisfied, but it's passive on my part. I'm not doing anything to satisfy it. Who did it for me? Jesus did it for me. So I don't get to boast. I didn't do anything to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus did it. So it leaves me as a believer as just this gift receiver. I've just received an amazing gift. I didn't do anything. I'm passive in what I've received. The experience I'm having is active. I didn't do anything to get this. He did it for me. That's important to know too because if I think I did something, then we'll become like Pharisees and we'll walk with our noses up in the air and we'll be looking down at everybody around and we'll find fault with everybody that's not exactly like us. Did you do, oh you did, I don't do that. You'll become one of those. But when you know that you are passive and it's been done for you, there's a humility that comes with that. I don't deserve anything. I'm a recipient of great gifts and it should make you humble. And it should really encourage our witness. Since I didn't do anything to get mine, I could look at anybody and say, I know God will do it for you too. Right? I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I passively received an amazing gift. Let me tell you how. And we can explain it to someone else. And so moving on, verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. The key word there is set your mind. Right? Those that live and the word live, live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit in both cases is habitually. The person that lives after the flesh nonstop, that's just how they get down. Habitually, that person has set their mind on the things of the flesh. The person that lives according to the spirit has set their mind on things of the spirit. So I would ask everybody here to consider what you have set your mind on. Have you set your mind on? Because Understand the idea. If I set my mind, that's something I've willfully done. I've chosen to put my focus here. I've set my mind on this sort of thing. When you weren't saved, I know when I wasn't saved, my mind was set on carnal stuff. I woke up thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I went through the middle of the day thinking about it. I was set. I had goals. My goals were carnal. Everything was fleshy. God says that that's when you live according to the flesh. When that's just how you live, that's what your mind is set on. And so we can all just take a look. We can examine ourselves. The word of God reveals us. It, it shows us where we are. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so what's your mind been set on? I'm laser focused on this stuff. Is it spiritual? Is it carnal? Does it matter in eternity? Does God care about it? If you had to view it through that lens, would you want to stay set on it? What do you have your mind set on? It says the person that's living according to the flesh has their mind set on the things of the flesh, but the person that lives according to the spirit has set their mind on the things of the spirit. That also means, because that's not passive, that's active, right? I can choose what I set my mind on. Everybody's mind struggles. The mind is a war ground. It's a battleground. So your mind might just go somewhere because it, it had a lot of years of carnality. So your mind got some stuff in it, you know? You got to set your mind. Like, instead of letting it tell me what to think, I got to wake up and say, I, oh, nope, stop. Anybody ever had a flow of thought going and the spirit said, look at that. Oh, that's wrong. Bring that back. Don't go any further with that. I have thoughts like that. My mind will start going. And I remember at one point I was failing in this area and I found myself in my car having a conversation with somebody that wasn't there. And I was, man, I was just letting it go. And God was like, really? Just let it go. You let it flow all out, right? And I realized that that was an exercise of my flesh. I was letting my mind just go. The Bible says you to bring your thoughts captive. 
and make them obedient to Christ. That we're to meditate on the things that are true, that are pure, that are praiseworthy, that are of good report. I'm to choose to think on those sort of things. And so when my mind starts running off on some negative trail, God's like, you're responsible for pulling that in, right? You're responsible for saying, shut up, mind. Bring that back. We're not going to go there. We don't even know if that's true, you know? Some people live their Christian life in that way, though. ever start thinking about God's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement? He loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes it even a step further when he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, know that he is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811. We love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Romans in this series, a book filled with wisdom and instructions for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on a transforming word.